praise team, are, uh, they, they put a lot of work in preparing to lead us in worship every week. I say thank you, Pastor Aaron and all of the team and, and all that you do in leading us. Not putting on a show, leading us in worship. Um, Cliff, Cliff ran out, didn't he? How many of you have the handout? We have a handout at the door. Raise your hand if you do not have the handout and you'd like a handout. I see one back there. I see a couple here. Patrick, would you do me a favor? Would you grab the handout that's in the back and just make your way around? Folks will lift their hand up as and, um, and we'll get that out to you. So it'll help you follow along in the message this morning. Well, this morning we're going to launch out into a, a, new, a new series. The next couple of weeks will be introductory, but uh, we begin this new series that's going to take us through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Now, don't turn to 1 Corinthians because we're actually going to start in the book of Acts. And I want you to turn to chapter 22. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I hope you bring your physical Bible and turn there. Turn to Acts chapter 22. That's going to be the, the heart of our message. We'll have some, some verses here and there that will be off of that. If you need the handout, just slip your hand up. Hi, Patrick's coming around with that, and he'll, he'll hook you up uh, here, and there's someone in the back, and... Uh, maybe someone else, but uh, thank you, Patrick, for doing that. So it, it, as, we, as we introduce this book of 1 Corinthians, and I'll just say this because I, I don't really don't want to get in the weeds at all with, with, talking about that book, but I don't know that there's another book that is more practical to life today, to the church today. When you look at the issues that Paul has to address there in the church in Corinth, and this letter, 1 Corinthians, it, is, it, is, it could be a, a letter written by, by someone to a church today and dealing with the issues that are in church today. So we're going to have opportunity to, to, to see a lot of things, to learn a lot of things that are very, very, very applicable to us today in the church. And so these first couple of weeks are going to be introductory to the book of 1 Corinthians and to the author of the book, the Apostle Paul. And so, so, so you know Paul is the author of the book. And, and in order to, to know Paul, we're going to have to first get to know a little bit about uh, B.C. Paul. Okay, B.C. being before Christ. We need to understand who he was before he met Christ. And, and so that's where we're going to spend a little bit of our time today, getting to know who this man Saul actually is who he was called, his name before he was saved. And, and even after he was saved, there's, some, there's a lot of debate. There's different ideas that, that you know, Jesus gave him a new name. But we, we see some things. Saul and Paul are basically the same name. One's the Hebrew version of it. The other's the Greek version of it. And, uh, but, but he was a man who was known as Saul. That's who he was known. And that's who we're going to come to today is this man called Saul. But I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, just in launching out here. And it says, Paul. And he's now, this is well after he's been saved and he's, he, he's planted churches all over. And now he's following up with a the church there in Corinth. He's writing to them there in Corinth. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So we have right there in the start of the verse an introduction of who he is, who wrote this letter. And that is Paul that wrote it. So Paul, the apostle of Christ, he's regarded by many, if not most, as the greatest Christian to ever live. I find, you know, it's, it's hard to debate that with so many Christians who have done so many wonderful things for the Lord that we've never even heard their names. But when you look at life, Paul's life and the things that he did, all the letters that he wrote, the, the churches that he planted, the missionary journeys he took, all the things that Paul did, God obviously used him in a great and a mighty way. And, and he's certainly a great Christian, a hero in our faith. Amen. And um, so I don't know if I, I, I think it's debatable. It's hard to say he's the greatest ever, but there are those that would argue that Paul was the greatest Christian to ever live. 
Now, so this morning we're going to learn of Paul's delusion before salvation. We're going to learn of his conviction and then his conversion to faith in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. Now, salvation uh, it was just the beginning of a long and prosperous ministry that he did for the Lord in the way that, that, that Paul served God. Paul's conversion offers hope for all who stand in need of salvation. You're going to understand when you see who Paul is, you see the way he was living his life. You know, I've heard many times that God couldn't save me. There's no way. You just don't know the sin I've got in my life. Listen, if Paul could be saved, if, if God could save Paul, God can save anybody. He's a man that, that was as vile as they come and the things that he was doing, especially in the persecution of the church. And we're going to learn that. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But if he can save Paul, folks, there's no reason for you to sit there and go, well, God can't save me. There is nothing you have done that is beyond his reach. You are not too far for his reach. He can reach down and he will reach down and save you. And I pray if you're not saved, I pray today will be that day that you'll come to faith in Christ. So who better to tell Paul's story than the apostle himself? So we're going to look this morning and let Paul begin to tell us his story. So the first point there that you see in your outline is, is, is number one, or Roman numeral one, a time of delusion. So Paul was in a time of delusion. Let's look at verses one through three. That's where we'll begin. But these opening verses reveal the state of delusion that Paul lived in prior to his conversion. And he was in a delusion. He was, he was, he was in deception. And while our, con our circumstances of life may vary greatly from that of Paul, apart from salvation in, G in Christ Jesus, we're all in a state of delusion. We're all in a state of deception. We have been deceived. We're being deceived. And we're in that state of delusion as to who we are or what our hope is outside of Christ. So Acts chapter 22, verse 1, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, and Saul now begins the testimony of who he is uh, right here in chapter 22. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of, uh, of Cilicia. Uh, but but brought up in uh, brought up in this city at the feet of uh, Gamaliel, taught according to the strictest of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Now he's got a mob that's seeking at this point. There's a mob seeking to kill Paul. He's and he he's he's being protected by some Roman soldiers at this point. And he's going up some stairs and he pleads with the soldiers, "Let me stop here. Let me speak to them." And he's like, "Well, you can speak the language. Yeah, I can speak the language. Let me talk to them." And he begins to share here and he tells them those things. So what we find out immediately from that testimony right there is that Paul he is a Jew. He was born in the Roman city of Tarsus and he is a Roman citizen. So he is a Jew. He's brought up under the Jewish teaching. He says he was taught by uh, Gamaliel, and, 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 who was a very highly esteemed Jewish teacher. Pro probably one of the highest. He's, he's very, very well known uh, in history and in that time. And so he was brought up under his teaching and he was brought up as a Pharisee. He testifies of all of this in his letter to the Philippians. And if you go to Philippians chapter 3, don't turn there, I'll read this. But in verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul has this to say about his upbringing and who he was and what he was doing. He said, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, 
So, so what he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. I'm, 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 I can trace my lineage back. I can tell you where I'm from. Uh, and, and, and he's talking about in, in his pre before he was saved, he's talking about the confidence he had in the flesh. He, he isn't, if you want to be honest, when you look at Paul before he got saved, he's a very arrogant man. He's not just confident. He's self-righteous and arrogant, which it makes sense because he's a Pharisee. And we're going to see, we're going to see this. So uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law now, concerning the law, a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He was a, he was a follower of, the Jude, of Judaism, but he was a Pharisee. He's this religious leader in that. Concerning zeal, he says, you want to talk about zeal, persecuting the church. That's what I was doing. I was persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he said, I'm blameless. I lived by the law. I did everything in my life according to the law. I upheld the law. I lived by that. And he says, blameless. Now, we know the fact of it is nobody's blameless by the law. So we even see here, before he was saved, and wow, he's a religious zealot. He is a religious fanatic. And he's arrogant in that. He's self-righteous in that. He thinks he's, he's really great. This is pre-Christ Paul, okay? So he was a Pharisee. They're a, you know, a leader in the religion of Judaism. He was zealous. He was very zealous. He was also very self-righteous in, in, his, in his Judaism. Um, in, in his sincere zeal for God as a Jew, he was persecuting the church. And the church, of, and it was the church, we're talking about the church, we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the church, the body of Christ, the body of believers. And he's doing it with great passion and ferocity. He genuinely believed he was doing the work of the Lord. He really thought that he was doing the right thing. So point A, you get there, we're going to see here is the persecution. In verse 4, Acts 22 verse 4, he said, I persecuted this way to the death wasn't just that he persecuted them. He persecuted them to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Jump down then to verse 20. He says, and when the blood of your, of your martyr Stephen was shed. Now, now here he's talking your, he's talking to the Lord. He's talking your martyr, Lord, your martyr Stephen. When the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death. It was Paul who apparently whatever position he had of leadership as a Pharisee, it was he who gave consent for them to kill Stephen. He, he, he's preaching. Stephen's preaching the gospel. He's telling the... He, if, you, if you go back and read that, he recites the entire history of the Jews. He recites, recites all of that, all the way down to Christ being born, living sinless, dying for their sin. And, and, they, and, and you killed him. You killed him. But he rose again. He's telling. He, he lays out the gospel to them. And they are indignant. He is speaking blasphemy. And they drag Stephen out and they're going to stone him to death. And it is Paul who is standing there consenting to Stephen's death. And he is guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I don't know if Paul's holding their robes on his arm or I don't know if they're piled up on a rock. He's just kind of keeping an eye on them. But he is there and he's watching. He is the one who's giving consent for Stephen to be stoned to death. This is Paul. So prior to his salvation, Paul was a man who promoted and encouraged violence even to death against all who professed Christ. 
He was a devout Pharisee. He viewed those who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ as promoters of heresy against the word of God. That's who he was. That's what he believed. He believes he's doing right. He was committed to doing all he could to hinder and destroy this new heresy called the way and its Christianity. He was, he was present at Steve, when Stephen was stoned, consenting to his horrific death. Acts chapter 8, if, if you want to turn back, feel free. I'm going to read the first three verses. Mark your place there in 22. We'll be back there. But Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, now you see here, this is Saul. This is before we know him as Paul. This is Saul. Uh, he, had, he made havoc in the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So at that time, he continued to threaten those who professed Jesus as the Christ, seeking not only their punishment, but their death as well. Paul was, was opposed to anything to ne- connected to Christ and to the gospel. He was hindering that. He had certainly heard the gospel. Uh, he, 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 he had without doubt heard of Jesus Christ even before he was crucified. You could not have been a Pharisee in that city, in that day, in his position, and not have heard of Jesus, not have known the conversations. They were plotting to kill him for a long time. They wanted to kill him. He was in those circles. He knew who this Jesus was, this new, this new man speaking heresies, uh, be speaking blasphemies, they would say, against God Almighty. Now, Paul was sincere in this. And uh, so he knew, though, he knew of Jesus. He had heard the stories of his resurrection. Paul at this point had not met the risen Christ, but he had heard the stories that this Jesus who was crucified had risen from the dead. He heard Stephen preach the gospel before he, before he was stoned to death, even giving the approval to do it. Now, folks, while the average unbeliever is not as violent as Paul uh, was in, in opposing the gospel, uh, look, however, however that is, prior to our salvation, we too rejected Christ. We too rejected him. We had no desire for any fellowship with the church. We didn't want to hang out with Christians and do, do, do-gooders. Look, well, before we became a Christian, we had a, there was an aversion to Christianity and to Christ. We, 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 I think most of us would admit to that before we came into faith in Christ. We wanted nothing to do with this man, Jesus, or those who sought to serve him. There was little compassion or support for those who professed Christ. We, we're like Paul in that. Before we came to faith in Christ, we were the same way. We were against this way. We were against this gospel message. We were against this, 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 this faith. Look at B. Now we see the pursuit. So we've seen the persecution of what Paul is doing. And man, Paul's really a great guy, isn't he? I mean, Paul's just, man, I'm, I'm, let me say it this way, Saul. I mean, Saul was just a wonderful guy. I mean, in his circle of Pharisees, he was probably uh, highly esteemed and held up and lifted up. And he would relish in that and glory in that and probably had aspirations to be to the highest point he could be as a, as a Pharisee and, and in, as a religious leader there in Jerusalem. He, I'm sure he had, had the, all these desires. But man, he was persecuting the church. He was zealous. Paul was a wicked man. I'm going to tell you, if we're, before salvation, we're no better than Saul. We're no better. We're just as guilty as he was. We're just as lost as he was. Now, B, point B here is the pursuit. Verse 5, 
So Paul continues, he says, As also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul wasn't content with efforts to, to prevent the spread of Christianity just there in Jerusalem. He wanted the gospel message stomped out completely. He wanted, he wanted this thing called Christianity. He wanted this thing called the way, as it was referred to mostly then before it was even called Christianity. It was the way. He wanted that stopped. He, I mean, it was like a, a little fire that had started. He wanted it stomped out. He didn't want anything left of that. Having requested and received permission from the high priest, Paul was making his way to Damascus hoping to find those who professed Christ there. He was going to find them. He was going to go in homes. He was going to drag them out, chain them up, and drag them back to Jerusalem to be tried, thrown in prison, and probably executed. That was what Paul was doing. He intended to arrest them for their faith and bring them back to stand trial. Now, folks, Satan is committed to working against the church wherever she exists. This is, this is Satan's plan. He, he has those who seek to hinder and defeat the work of the gospel throughout the world. There's a, there's a network of people, and it's not just, we'll talk about the spiritual realm, but there are people who are under the influence of Satan who are, are you know, there's a term I've heard a lot, and I use it some, is youthful idiots, okay? And, and that's probably not a very complimentary term, but it's not, and none of us were before we were born again. We're, we're, we're lost in that, but there are folks who are, they are doing Satan's work in opposing the true church, in opposing the, the one true God, they're po opposing him. So uh, he has those who are doing the work all throughout the world. There are countless people who are, who are being used of Satan, persecuting the church and all who profess Christ. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, now we know this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, we understand that, that there are people that, that are opposing the gospel. There are people that are being used of Satan to oppose the gospel. We also understand that the battle we face today is a spiritual battle. And, and even when there are people that are opposing, it is still a spiritual battle. They are being influenced and moved by Satan in that work. They're opposing the work that God wants done. It's Satan's whole task is to hinder what God is doing, what his plan is. And so th that is being hindered. But it is ultimately when we see people, and I'm sure y'all have spayed, uh, the, the crockets down here have faced that spiritual warfare in a way probably we couldn't even understand. We've not faced that in the way you have probably there in that area. And, and even then they understand that the people are being used of Satan in hindering that work. It is a spiritual hindrance. It is, a, it, is, it is not flesh and blood that we war against. This is a spiritual warfare. So keep in mind that Paul was devoutly religious. Paul wouldn't be what we would consider, you know, a heathen, a lost guy out there. He was a religious guy. He was involved in Judaism. He was a high up in Judaism. He was following and serving God faithfully. He sincerely thought he was doing God's work. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't like he was, he didn't think he was fighting against God. He thought he was fighting for God. He really thought he was doing the right thing. Organized religion is often one of the greatest hindrances and sources of opposition to the gospel and salvation. Now, you can find it all over the world. You can find it all over the world where religion fights against Christianity. And I'm going to say religion in the scope of many 
that would call themselves Christian that are religions that will oppose true Christianity, faith by grace, uh, faith in Christ, salvation by grace through faith in Christ, and that alone. There's a lot of religion, and, and they fight against the work of God all throughout the world. So many religious people believe that, that they have all they need, and, and they're depending on their works for acceptance by God. I'm, I'm doing Paul, man, Paul was right. Paul was right with God. Man, he would, he would have been really right with God. He's more zealous than anybody else doing what, what he's doing, religion. And there are many today that are doing that. Religion, folks, cannot save. Religion can't save. Salvation requires a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Roman numeral number two there. We're going to see now we move to a time of conviction, verses six through eight. Here we discover Paul's initial encounter with the Lord leading to conviction of his lost condition. So A is the illumination. The illumination. Verse 6 now, Paul says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about, at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. As Paul was making his way to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him with a great light that shined brighter than the noonday sun. And the Lord, the Lord was determined to get Paul's attention. There, folks, there's always, and, and I, I think we could go around the room here and you could identify a time when the Lord began to illuminate in your life who he was. He did something to get your attention. There are very few of us that will have a Damascus Road experience. And I've heard folks that, that struggled in their, in their walk or their salvation because I didn't, I didn't have something like that. Folks, God does everything. Man, his plan is set. Amen. But he doesn't work the same way. Very few times you see him do the same thing the same way again. He, he, he wanted to get Paul's attention. And he did it in a way that maybe he hasn't done in our life. But I can tell you there was a time where he got my attention. He got my attention. And, and now there's illumination on the truth. And it doesn't, have to be, it doesn't have to be this big glaring thing that blinds you. The sun was so bright. This light was so bright that it blinds me. No, it doesn't have to be that. But it's a time where Christ illuminates. He begins to shed a light in your life and he's getting your attention. This is always the beginning stage of someone's salvation. The Lord will illuminate our path. He, he begins to reveal our sinful ways and our need for him. Um, it is impossible to receive salvation apart from an awareness of our sinful depravity and the need for Christ. I hear a lot of times today, look, we got to be careful. We, we get into this love, love, love thing. God is all about love. And, and we miss the whole gospel. We don't give the full gospel. We want to give people an easy, an easy route to heaven, an easy route to eternal life with them out of ever understanding why I need to be saved. If we just come in here and preach a kumbaya message and then say, hey, y'all need to be a part of the family of God. I want to give you an opportunity today to join the family of God. Y'all just pray this prayer. Folks, that's easy believism. It's just this idea that I can speak some magic words and God's going to save me and take me to heaven. No, it starts right here with an illumination that I'm a sinner. If you don't come to the realization that you're a sinner, you can't get saved. What are you going to get saved from? Uh, I'll tell you this. How many of you are going to go get chemotherapy if you don't believe you have cancer? Anybody? Anybody lining up to go get chemo? I don't think, I don't believe I have cancer. I think I'm fine, but I'm going to get chemo. You wouldn't do that. You're not going to take the treatment if you don't think you're ill. First thing you've got to understand is that we're sinners. 
We are sinners. God has made that very clear. And we are separated from God by our sin. As he begins to illuminate that in our life, and we realize, look, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. You don't, don't forget that he, he, in this situation, don't forget that Paul has already heard of Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. He's heard the stories. He's heard the gospel. He's standing there as Stephen preaches the gospel. Now, at that point, he wasn't under conviction, but he has heard the word of God. He's heard the truth of Scripture. Romans 10, 14, or 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God will, man, when we hear the word of God, he begins to illuminate in our heart. He begins to reveal to us our need. And that's what's happened here. He's illuminating this need. He's revealing to, 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 to Saul his lostness. He's waking him up to the spiritual that's going on. You may not have had a Damascus Road experience like Paul, but if you've been born again, God certainly got your attention and he illuminated truth in your heart. That's where it starts. B, the confrontation. So there's the illumination, but then there's the confrontation. Verse 7, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, we, now, Paul, Saul would not have thought for a second that he was persecuting God. But here's God speaking to him. And God, and he don't know who this is yet. He's, he's like, I don't know who this is, but this is God. No, there ain't no man talking to me out of this light that's blinding me. And I'm on the ground. He's putting me on the ground. And now he's talking to me. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So when Paul encounters this bright light, he heard a voice and it confronts him in regard to his persecution of the church. Because Paul would say, I'm not persecuting you, God. I'm, per I'm, I'm persecuting for you, God. I mean, that's you got to wonder what's running through his head. I'm not persecuting you, Lord. I'm persecuting the church. And I have to think it clicks in there. I'm persecuting the way. I'm persecuting this thing called the church, these Christians, these followers of Jesus. And now God is saying to me, why are you persecuting me? It has to, you got to think it clicks right here with him. The Lord wanted Paul to understand that his persecution of believers was a direct attack on him as well. And so Paul was confronted about his sinful ways. We need to be confronted with our sin. You know, we're in a day-to-day, a day-to-day, -day where, you know, we want to be able to just live like however we want to, and that's okay because God is love. And I should be able to do my thing. You know, whatever, we were talking about this in our class this morning, um, we have a real bad case, a real bad desire, and this misunderstanding of Scripture is that we think God wants us to be happy. God, God wants me to be happy. So it's okay that I'm in an affair. I'm having an affair. I'm committing adultery. I'm, I'm running around as a drunkard. I'm doing whatever it is. I'm on pornography. Whatever it is, you know, that's what makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. No, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Now, if you're holy, you can be happy. Folks, you can't be happy if you ain't holy. If you're living a life in sin, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be pursuing happiness, and this world is pursuing happiness in all these different things of life, all these different ways. Maybe it's money, it's power, it's possession, it's pleasure, whatever it is. I'm pursuing these things as I want to be happy. You're never going to be happy until you pursue holy. The only way to have that is through a right relationship with God. 
And so this is the second stage of one's salvation. Once the, the Lord reveals himself to us, the Spirit begins to confront the sin in our lives and begins to convict us of our transgressions and our lostness. Folks, we, we got to understand that my sin is not just I've done wrong. Listen, when I sin, I am sinning against a holy God. I'm sinning against him. Him and him alone. I may, I may do something that's, that's wrong against you, and that's a relationship thing that we need to make right. And, but my sin, when I sin, it's against him. That's what we've got to understand. And it's because of that sin that then we're separated from him. And, and we come to that realization of our sin, our transgressions, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are lost. We are eternally separated from God. And if something doesn't change, I mean, there's nothing we can do of our own, nothing we can do to save ourselves. What are we going to do? So the Spirit of God begins to confront us with our sin, our lostness. And, and you cannot, one cannot comprehend or receive salvation if there's never, if there's never been a place uh, where you come to conviction of sin. Uh, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'll, I'll talk about this next week. But, but, but I was having a conversation with someone probably a year ago. And, um, and as, 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 we're, as I'm witnessing to this person... We come to sin. I said, do you understand that you're a sinner? Do you understand your sin has separated you from God? The answer was, no. I, I, I think I'm a good person. I'm, I'm really a good person. I don't, really, I don't really think I'm a sinner. And what you understand at that point is that person's not ready for salvation. They're not at a place of, you've got to understand your sin. You've got to understand your lostness. And folks, when we understand our lostness, it becomes very urgent then because we realize where we're at. And the fact is, when we realize that, it doesn't change the fact that we're one heartbeat away from eternity, separated from God in a real place called hell. But now we're aware of that fact. Before, we were ignorant of the fact. But it's a fact that unless we have a personal relationship with Christ, we're one breath, one heartbeat from eternity, separated from God in a real place called hell. But once we come to that realization, we understand our sin, there should be a great urgency that would come upon us at that point. Too, too, too few people are willing today to admit that they're sinners. C, the realization. 8A. First part of verse 8 says, So I answered, Saul says, So I answered, Who are you, Lord? He understands this is God. This is the Lord speaking to him, but he's, not, he's still not totally sure who it is. It's at this moment Paul has not yet received salvation, but he has recognized it is the Lord God himself who is speaking to him. But just who is the Lord? And you sense as you read this, you sense that whoever this is, when he reveals himself, Paul's ready to believe. He's ready to trust, but he doesn't know yet who, who, Lord, Lord, I'm acknowledging, Lord, it's you. You're, you're the Lord. You're speaking to me. You're God Almighty. But who are you? You know, many believe in God, but don't understand that Jesus is God's Son and is God. Many religions today that, that acknowledge a God. And, and we're in a, we're in a, and I tell people, you got to be very, very clear because. Uh, when we start talking about, you know, I'm saved because I believe in God. 
Now, the scripture doesn't say you get saved because you believe in God. Now, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of semantics. But the fact is, our faith, the scriptures make it clear there's no other name given under, under, under heaven by which we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. It is through the relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the name of Jesus that we call him. Now, is Jesus God? Jesus is God. Is the Holy Spirit God? The Holy Spirit is God. The three are one. The three are three different uh, manifestations of the triune God. But our faith is placed in Jesus. So when people say, well, I believe in God, so I'm okay. Look, you you have to have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and that he is God. D, the confirmation. Second part of verse 8. So, so I answered, so I answered who, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine the dagger in Paul's heart when he hears those words? Here he is giving everything he's got to persecute Jesus Christ. To persecute the true way. The, 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 he's, he's killing believers in the one true God. Acts 9, chapter 5 adds that Jesus also said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm going to explain that in a second. But Jesus confirmed that he is the Christ, the one Paul was persecuting. Now, a goad was a rod that was used for wayward animals. It was maybe a a rod or a staff or something like that. And, 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 you know, you'd use it if you're herding some sheep and one's getting over here a little bit, you'd tap it. You're, you're, You're using it to give guidance and to work in that sheep and guide that sheep. And so Jesus affirmed that it was difficult for Paul to work against the Spirit of God who is dealing with his heart. It is the Spirit of God that's working in Paul's life. It is the Spirit, and Paul is kicking against that. God is guiding him and working, and he's fighting against it. Folks, we've probably all done that. Time before we were saved, and God is working our life, and somebody invites you to church, and you go, I ain't going to church, I'm not going over there. But you know, in your heart and hearts, you're going, man, I need to go. But you're fighting against it and you're resisting because it's the flesh that's warring. It's the spirit of, of Satan that's working to keep you from doing what, what he knows. If you go, man, you're going to go hear the word and the spirit of God's going to convict you. And you might, you might trust Jesus. He doesn't want... So God is working. He is working in our life, folks. He is constantly working. You want to talk about the sovereignty of God? That's the sovereignty of God. He's working in your life. He's working in, in Raymond Harrison's life. A thousand things at one, one moment. And next to him, he's working in Stephen's life. A thousand, maybe a million things that any one moment he's working, he's guiding. And he's no less limited in what he's doing in Stephen's life by what he's doing in Raymond's life. He's working in my life. And he uses these things. He's working these things to bring us to salvation because that's what he wants for all of us. So it could be no doubt that at this moment that Paul has encountered Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And this is always a crucial time. It's a crucial moment for an unbeliever. As the Spirit deals with that person, the Spirit of God reveals their sin and their need for Christ. And the Spirit reveals Jesus as the risen Lord and the only hope for salvation of man's soul. And it is at this moment, it is at that point that the Spirit is leading, is calling, is drawing them to salvation. This is the moment to respond in faith. Repenting of our sin and believing in Christ for salvation. John 6, 6, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Look, faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the Word of God. As the Word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit of God is working in your life. When you hear the truth of the gospel, when you hear those things, all I tell you, you can have a neighbor that sits you down and says, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Man, I was a sinner. I was lost in my sin. And, and man, when I come to realize that, the Bible showed me that I'm a sinner and I'm lost. I'm going to go to hell. I don't have any hope. And, and Jesus, but Jesus, God sent his son Jesus. He came and he died for me. He died on that cross. He took my sin. He paid the price for my sin. And he was buried. And he rose again on the third day. And you know what? I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And, 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 and he saved me and he's changed me. And you know what? They've heard the gospel. They've heard the truth. And the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to their heart and working in their life and can bring salvation. But it's that point when they realize, man, I'm a sinner. I, I, I need what you have. I need to be saved. Jesus is the way. He's the only way. And the Holy Spirit of God will draw. Now, what that, what that means, that verse means, is, is you, you're sitting here today and you're lost and, yeah, but you know what? I'm not ready to do that. Ah, yeah. Holy Spirit of God is, man, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I understand it. He is convicting me. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize all these things. But, man, I'm just not, I'm not ready to give up my life as, as I'm living. I want to live my, my life my way. And, and we got this going on. And we go, you know what I'm going to do? I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it. I, I, you know, I got time. I'm a young person. I'm, I, maybe I'm just not an old person. You know, whatever it is, I, I got time. I'll deal with it later. Maybe when I get sick and I find out I'm going to die, then, then I'll come to Jesus. That's not how it works, folks. When the Spirit of God convicts your heart and burdens your heart and draws you, you must respond. That's when you respond. That's when you respond. Don't put it off. That's why I tell you, I tell you week after week after week, when, when we have invitation, we have this response time, if God's doing something in your heart, get to this altar and deal with it. Because you know what you won't do? You won't deal with it later. You'll leave here and go, ah, yeah, I don't know what that was about. I know God was doing something in my heart. I felt like I ought to go pray, but I didn't. And now I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. Because what, what, God's dealing with your heart. When God's dealing with your heart, deal with God. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Deal with it right then. So this is such a critical time. Now, the third point here, a time of, of conversion. Here we discover the salvation of Paul, the moment when he was delivered from a life of sin and religious pride, receiving forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Christ. In point A there, we see his reverence. 10A says, so, so I said, what shall I do, Lord? There's an acknowledgement instantly of who Jesus is. He is Lord in Paul's life. At this point, he has said, Lord, what shall I do? There is an instant change. Some debate that Paul's salvation is not complete until Ananias came. And if you read that, you'll understand what I'm talking about later on. A man, God tells this man, Ananias, to go to Paul. Ananias doesn't want to go to Paul. Ananias has heard about Paul. He don't want to go to Paul. But Ananias goes. He humbles himself and he goes. He's obedient to what God told him to do. And he ministers to Paul and he helps Paul get started right. When he goes in, the scales fall off of, of Paul's eyes and he can see again. But some would debate that's when Paul got saved. I don't believe that's it at all. I believe it's right here in verse 10. Uh, he, he, had, he had dealt with the sin in his life and he's fully surrendered to the Lord. He reveals that he is ready to go and do whatever the Lord desired of him. Look, when one is truly saved, there's an immediate recognition of the Lord and a surrender to follow him. Let me say that again. When one, someone is truly saved, when someone really is born again, there is an immediate recognition of the Lord and a surrender to follow him. 
When we come into faith in Christ, we don't continue to act like we act before we said we came into faith with Christ. You don't, you don't meet someone. I, I, I use this extreme here because, I mean, we got a lot of folks that really love President Trump. I mean, we love him. There's folks in here, if you met Trump, we would not hear the end of it. We couldn't get you to be quiet about your meeting Trump. My question is, if you've really, really met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you've really met the resurrected Christ, how can you not be talking about it? Amen? Amen. If you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and surrendered unto Him through conviction of sin... You, you have not met the biblical requirements for salvation. Receiving salvation is more than awareness of Jesus, of, of who Jesus is. It's more than a head knowledge. It requires confession of our sin, admission of our need, recognition of his deity, repentance, which is a change of mind, is turning from sin and self to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then placing our faith for salvation in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's salvation. The old man of sin must die in order to be resurrected a new creature in Christ. And at that moment, salvation is complete. B, his guidance. We see here his reverence. He instantly, there's a change. Then we see his guidance. The second part of verse 10. And so I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all things which are appointed to you. Listen, Paul couldn't see. He had to pick himself up off the ground. He couldn't even, he didn't even know which direction is which at this point. But he says, I got to go to Damascus. God told me to go to Damascus. I'm going to Damascus. And he had them lead him there to Damascus. Um, uh, God didn't just save him on the roadside at Damascus and then leave him there to figure it out. He gave him direction. He gave him guidance instantly. Go to Damascus. If you are his, he'll guide your life. If you are a follower, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't speak audibly to us like he did Paul, but he does speak and guide our lives. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the Holy Spirit, speaking truth into our lives. He also uses this right here, folks, the church, to speak truth into your life. Small groups that meet together where Raymond has studied all week and prepared and, and then teaches the Word of God to help provide guidance and growth. You, you can study at home, and I hope you are studying at home. And the Holy Spirit of God is the greatest teacher. As you open the Word of God and read the Word of God, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to illuminate truth into your life. He speaks those truths, but He uses the church as well. He may use Glenn Barr to encourage me and to challenge me. We need each other. God uses that. He doesn't leave us out here alone and, and, and just to flounder. He guides us all the way through this. And then we see his obedience. Verse 11, And since I could not see for the glory of, his, of, of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Acts 9, 8 says, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But that, Now, it doesn't mean he looks around and, and he didn't see the people who were standing there. He opened his eyes. He couldn't see. That's what the verse is saying. He didn't see anyone He couldn't because he couldn't see. He's, he's gasping, grasping at this point. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Paul's life was radically changed from that moment on. He got up from the ground, unable to see, and he followed the Lord's commands. Look, we're really like that. 
When we first get saved, we get up, we don't really, we can't see. We may be able to see physically, but we spiritually, we can't see. We need someone to take us by the hand and someone to walk us through those first days. We need someone helping to point us in the right direction in the Word of God. As we read the Word of God, again, the Holy Spirit of God will lead us and guide us and direct us. And we have people in our lives helping us. So he went to Damascus. He waited for the Lord. He gave up his agenda. And instantly he began living in total submission and obedience to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't say part of the things become new. It doesn't say some of the things become new. It says all things become new. Old things have passed away. All things become new. I'd never teach you that when we get saved, we live a perfect life. I mean, that'd be, that'd be a lie. We know, we know from Scripture that's not true. But we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us, convicting us when we sin. We can repent of that sin and get our relationship right with God. But there's a constant struggle. Paul even talks about it later on. And, and he says, I struggle. I find that I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. And, and so there's a struggle. And I praise God that Paul wrote that because the greatest, this great missionary, this great apostle, this great Christian who wrote that, he struggled in the same ways that we struggle. We, we're not going to be perfect. But, and as long as we live in this body of flesh, we're prone to sin. We're prone to, to failure. However, once you are saved, there will be a compelling desire to please God. Man, you say, I have no desire for the things of God. I have no desire for the church. I have no desire to attend church. I have no desire to be around other Christians. I have no desire to live a holy life. I don't know that you've really met the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there will be a change. There's a desire to please Him. We respond in obedience to His voice and follow His commands. Pastor Aaron, you can, you can uh, go ahead and make your way forward. I'm almost done here. Folks, if you've never surrendered to the Lord, being obedient to follow Him, I would question whether there was ever true change in your life. If you've never gotten to a place of living in obedience to the Lord... Those who are in Christ, who are in Christ, will not live as they lived before. When in Christ, our desires change. There's a hunger to follow the Lord, to please Him, to serve Him, to obey Him, to love Him, and to love who and what He loves. It changes. So the question this morning is, are you in Christ? We'll have a moment here in just, in just a moment. Pastor Aaron's going to play. And we'll, we'll stand together. We'll sing. Uh, but, but my challenge is this. If you're here this morning and you've never been born again. You know, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the garden at night. And said, you know, basically want to know how, how do I get to heaven. And Jesus said, you must be born again. He wasn't talking about a physical rebirth. He was talking about a spiritual rebirth. You, you are dead spiritually, Nicodemus. You need to have faith in Christ. You need to be reborn spiritually. Maybe this morning, that's you. Maybe this morning, you've never truly been born again. And even this morning, if you had a question, if you said, you know, I, I, th I think I'm a Christian, but I'm not positive. Folks, if you're not positive, you can be positive. And I'd encourage you to come down and let, let one, of, one of our leaders, we'll take the Word of God and, and just walk you through so today you can 
you can have that certainty, that assurance that the, that the Bible gives us, that the Word of God gives us about our relationship with Christ. If you've never been born again, I encourage you, step out today. Come down here and let us take the Word of God. But Christian, where are you? Are you walking like one that's in Christ? Is your life different? Does it reflect being in Christ? Being a new creature? A new creation? Does it reflect that new birth? Does it reflect all things becoming new? Or are you still living in some sin? Today would be a great day to obediently respond to the Lord's leading in your life to get that sin out of your life. To surrender it all to Him. So I'm going to ask you to stand and and we're going to pray and uh, Pastor Aaron will lead us here in just a moment. Father, as we come to this time of, of invitation, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Savior, I, I, I think the gospel, Lord, I think it's been clear this morning. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray today would be the day. May the Holy Spirit of God so impress on their heart they could not sit still. They have to step out. They got to move. They got to get to someone who can get them to Jesus. Father, I pray that you'll just burden our hearts. And Lord, maybe maybe there's there's those us, us as believers. Maybe we've gotten away from you a little bit here or there. Maybe there's someone in our life that needs our prayers. Maybe there's a need that Father we haven't expressed out loud. Lord, whatever's going on in our life, this altar is a place to commune with you and. Father, I pray that you'd give us freedom this morning, liberty this morning uh, to get to this altar and spend time praying right here, right now, and surrendering these things to you. Lord God, would you bless and move in this invitation.